0: Well, greetings and welcome to the Business of Agriculture a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. We get together here every week and discuss issues in, in, impacting and involved with the business of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. That's right. It's the business of agriculture. Got a great show for you today because I've got Gabe Brown on. If you do not know who Gabe Brown is, you should. Gabe Brown is a pioneer in the field of regenerative agriculture. I heard about regenerative agriculture, of all things, on MSNBC. That's right. You might recall earlier in 2019, they had a town hall with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Certainly, I don't agree with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on a lot of fronts. Uh, Politically, she wants to be a food police. She pushed out this idea that we're eating too many cheeseburgers. So I was dialed in as an ag and food guy to what Ms. Cortez was going to say. She talked about cow farts. She talked about these big industrial farms growing cow grain. I don't know what cow grain is. But then she said this thing that we need to adapt regenerative agriculture. And I said, what the heck is she talking about? Regenerative agriculture? So I did a little research. And then I ran across a book by Gabe Brown called Dirt to Soil. Dirt to Soil is a one family's journey into regenerative agriculture. It's a great story, and I said I got to get this guy on my podcast. So Gabe Brown is joining me today. We're going to talk about regenerative agriculture, what it means, what it's what it's doing, how it works, and why you should keep your eye on this because it's probably going to be coming to a field near you. Gabe Brown, welcome to the business of agriculture.
1: Well, thank you. Pleasure to be with you today.
0: Uh, okay, so Gabe is a he runs Brown's Ranch up in North Dakota, a little bit east of Bismarck. Um, he his story is is such that he really went through some struggles in the 1990s. I'm gonna let him tell you, but I want to give preference. This is this is a guy who, out of economic necessity, changed how he does stuff. And he talks a lot about in his book Dirt to Soil. You want to make small changes, you change your practices. You want to make big changes,
1: you change how you think. So, Gabe, start from the beginning. Well. <laughs> The very beginning, I guess, probably important for readers and listeners to understand is that I did not grow up on a farmer ranch. I grew up in the city of Bismarck and went through a quote unquote normal childhood there. But I had the good fortune when I was in the ninth grade, I, I took a vocational agriculture course and quickly became just infatuated with all things production ag. And so I actually went to college to to become a vocational agriculture education instructor, but uh, I had fallen in love with my high school sweetheart, and uh, after two years of college, her parents had, uh, uh, we had gotten married, and her parents called us asking if we'd be interested in returning to their farm and taking it over. Well, my wife had always joked that she married a city kid to get away from the farm, and I was uh, pushing her to go back to it, and so, Upon completion of my four-year degrees, uh, we did return to her parents' farm, took over a very conventional type farm. By that, I mean it was one that uh, grew monoculture, small grains, heavy tillage, half summer follow, half cropland, set stocked uh, grazing with the cow herd uh, on the pastures. And that's how I learned to farm from my father-in-law. Well, in 1991, we purchased the farm from them and being an avid reader and and I just have a real desire to learn, I'd read about no-till. And so in 1994, uh, we sold all our tillage equipment and went no-till. And I had a very good uh, crop that year. And I thought, boy, this is easy. Well, 1995 <laughs> came along. And the day before I was going to combine 1,200 acres of spring wheat, we lost 100% of our crop to hail. And I didn't have any crop insurance, and that was pretty devastating. So it set us backward to financially quite a bit. 1996.
0: 1996- uh, I I mean, Just run some numbers here. For people that are saying, wait a minute, maybe you're like a non-farm person. You're saying, well, what's the big deal? You said 1,200 acres that you're about to combine. Uh, that's a significant amount of your, of your revenue. And the point is, it's already right there. You're like a yep. day or a week away from turning that wheat into cash. Uh, so- you're talking about a significant amount of money and it's already at the, you've already paid for the seed, you've paid for the inputs, you've paid for the fuel, you've paid the
1: property taxes, and there you are a week away from payday and it's devastated. Well, if I may correct you, I hadn't paid them. actually the bank had because I had borrowed operating money to put buy that fertilizer, that seed, those chemicals and all those inputs. So I had that operating note to pay back with, hopefully the grain that I was going to combine. Well, that hailstorm came and just uh, totally devastated that crop, so I didn't have that income. Well, 1996 rolled around, and I started to diversify the cash crop rotation a little bit. I added peas, and I was able to get them combined. But again, before I could combine much of the small grain crops, the spring wheat, oats, and barley, we lost 100% of the crop to hail again. So that's two years of going backwards. Now, I was thankful that we still made a little money off the cattle, and I was able to pay the bank the interest back. So that kind of kept them at bay. 1997 came around, and 1997 was a very dry year here in North Dakota, and uh, we didn't combine an acre. None of the crop uh, was uh, enough to combine. So that's three years of natural disasters, three years of no income from the cropping portion of our operation and times were really really stressed financially then for my my wife and i it was at that time that uh, i heard don campbell speak and don uh, gave the saying if you want to make small changes change the way you do things if you want to make major changes change the way you see things and there hasn't been a day since then that's gone by where i haven't thought about that and I really, from that, I took home from listening to him that I need to look at things differently. So at that time, I started to really try and observe what was happening on the landscape. What was nature trying to tell me? Now, obviously, some would say with those years of hail and drought, it was trying to tell me not to farm. And (laughs) uh, yeah, I always tell people I was really beginning to question my career choice at that time. And as my wife was beginning to question her choice of husbands, you know, so uh 1998 came along okay yeah 1998 came along i'm thinking here by
0: the way real real quickly here because farming is a business and you went through years you were did you have to go get a job because how do you even on a cash standpoint you know you're getting where you're losing and then you're eating into equity position were you were you absolutely down to your last nickel
1: well, you know, I tell people that, that we were so broke, the banker knew when we bought toilet paper, you know. Uh, yes, my wife and I both took off farm jobs, but realize I pushed a broom in a warehouse. I worked for $3.25 an hour. My wife worked for $3.50 an hour. So we joked that she was the breadwinner in the family back then. But you do, we did what we had to do. You know, we had a young family, two young children, had to put food on the table now, I was fortunate enough that that my we had a contract for deed with my in-laws on the land, so I was pretty sure they weren't going to foreclose on me. And as long as I could make the interest payment to the bank, I, I knew I could keep them at bay. Well, 1998 came along, and as fate would have it, we lost 80% of our crop to hail. So that was four years of virtually no income from the grain Side of our operation, and we have about 2,000 acres of cropland and then another 3,000 acres of grazing land. Well, I tell people that those four years, although they were extremely difficult to live through, were absolutely the best thing that could have happened to my family and I. Because what I was really learning from those four years was the six principles of a healthy soil ecosystem. I had already gone no-till and that's the first principle, is least amount of mechanical and chemical disturbance possible. Well, I was doing that by no-till, by not tilling. We weren't disturbing the soil. So we were leaving all those those pore spaces intact and, and we weren't having any bare soil. The second principle is armor on the soil surface. In other words, keep the soil covered. Well, think of what was happening. Every time I got hailed out, there was a lot of armor being put down on the soil surface because that hail just pounded that crop down level with the soil. Well, then the soil is not prone to wind erosion. It's not prone to water erosion. It's not prone to evaporation. Now, the other thing those four years taught me was because I needed to make money And I wasn't making money with the conventional crops. I had to figure out, okay, what can I seed to make money? So I started growing crops like cereal rye mixed with hairy vetch. And the reason I did that, cereal rye could be planted in the fall of the year. We typically don't get hail in the late fall. And then it grows very quickly the next spring and is usually mature before we get our inclement summer weather the thunderstorms and hailstorms the hairy vetch i added on my own because it's a legume it can take nitrogen out of the atmosphere and through rhizobia convert it into inorganic nitrogen to be used by plants that's the that saved me the cost of buying synthetic nitrogen fertilizer so i found out quickly that hey i can grow that crop and it's a very very lucrative cash crop for me in fact it's my number one return cash crop per acre has been for over the, every year for over the past 20 years. Gabe, and so
0: you were, you were, let me interrupt here for a second. Yeah. You know, you were smart to adapt no-till and you know, there you are, you're in the mid nineties and you're getting, you know, one year's a, one year's a, uh, you know, a terrible thing. And then you're talking four years of devastation of nature knocking you out. You said, I got to change things. But were you still on those 2,000 cropland acres going out there and planting wheat and your traditional stuff on much of it? Did you just take one little side? You know, did the banker even allow you to do this? Because sometimes a banker says, hey, you're so you're so ass
1: over backwards. You, you don't go getting crazy out here because we've got a loan. Yeah. Well, think of what was happening. OK, the banker wasn't loaning me any more money. You go you go in the hole four years in a row. They're not going to loan you any more money. I still had the debt with them, but I wasn't borrowing money from them to operate near to the extent that I had been. Okay, and so- fortunately I had some livestock, some cattle income from selling calves, and so that was enough to just satisfy them and bring them along. Now, I was very shrewd in the fact that that you know, uh, I don't know if it's shrewd or just dumb, I don't tell a banker everything, so I would take some of the little bit of money from off-farm income, a little bit from from selling some livestock, some hay here or there. And then I'd buy these other crop seeds, the right. rye, the triticale, the peas, etc cetera, and use that to plant. And I knew if I could just keep paying them interest for a while that I could uh, keep them at bay. And so that's what I did. I diversified my cash crop. Now, too many people... They just want to make it easy, I think, in production agriculture today. The farmers and ranchers, they want to go to the elevator, the the grain terminal, and just sell and and be done with it. I realized that if I was truly going to make money, I had to sell more things direct and and capture a higher percentage of, of the dollar. And so that's what I started doing. I started selling seed and then being located near... Uh, The city of Bismarck, there's a lot of people who they might have 40 acres and they don't put up feed themselves, but they got a few horses and a few head of livestock and they want to buy these grains. Well, I could make a lot of money selling them small quantities of these grains. Sure. So by, so
0: by going direct to you very quickly, I mean, it's pretty trendy now, farmers markets, farm to table, community supported agriculture. But 20 years ago, Gabe, that wasn't so much going on. You looked around and said, I need that extra 25 cents is a big deal to me because I'm so broke uh, and I'm trying to climb out of a hole. If I can grab an extra 25 cents
1: by going direct, all the better. That, that's exactly right. I, I tell the story in my book how in 1999, I took a load, truckload of oats to the elevator and they offered me 99 cents a bushel. <laughs> and I, I begged them for that extra penny because I didn't want to sell anything for less than a dollar. <laughs> and they wouldn't give it to me. And I remember coming home and telling my wife, I said, I can't do this anymore. This just doesn't make sense. I said, you know, we're taking all the risk in agriculture, yet- Somebody is dictating how much we're being paid for, our, for what we grow and raise. And I said, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to take it into my own hands. So that taught me the, the importance of diversity. And that is the one of the principles, diversity. The other thing I Can was I taught- Can ask you a question about those oats? Sure.
0: So Did you find some people that have uh,
1: horses that you could sell it for a buck fifty? No, oh, that's exactly what we did. That and now, ever since then, a big part of my income has been I sell seed oats because not a lot of people, a lot of people want to grow oats, but they don't want to combine it. And so I grow it, I clean it, and then uh, sell it for seed or animal feed. So that's one way to add income. Damn. Now during those uh, years in the 1998, I mentioned we lost 80% of our crop to hail. Well, that hailstorm occurred in late June. That still gave me enough time to grow something. So I went in and I seeded sorghum sedan grass along with cowpeas, again, a grass and a legume. And so I seeded those for livestock forage, but I literally did not have the money to buy all the twine and to be the fuel to be able to put that forage up as as hay. So what I did, I said, well, my cows have four legs. Let's just make them graze that through the winter. And that was my first foray, so to speak, into animal integration. And so I was leaving a living root in the soil as long as possible throughout, as long as possible in North Dakota throughout the year. And then we were integrating animals onto cropland. So I tell people... I really believe that 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 God gave me those four years of hail and drought for a reason. He wanted to take the world's simplest farmer and prove a point that, hey, I can teach anyone the principles of a healthy ecosystem. So, so and so-
0: Gabe, you you went out and uh, after, the, after you started getting it back together, you started doing these things. And again, changing how you do things, yes, but changing how you see things. And you talk in your book about looking out over this land. And that's when you devised, your book says, five principles of soil health. You have expanded it to now six principles of soil health. You had already adopted no-till uh you already had armor because as you said after a hailstorm came out your your ground was covered armor meaning you protected the soil and then you said i'm gonna it's june so i'm gonna do something you put out cereal rye with vetch obviously the the combo then you've got the hairy vetch which is a legume which brings nitrogen from the air and fixes it in the soil so you now you've accomplished diversification you haven't quite gotten to the other three steps does it take a while does it get to where it's a
1: few years more before you develop these other three steps Well, it it was all happening at once. You know, I was diversifying the crop rotation. As I said, in in 94 and 95, I added peas to the rotation. I added corn. I added sunflowers. You know, I was doing, trying different things, more from a marketing perspective, trying to, I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket, so to speak. So we were adding diversity by adding these other cash crops. And then I was growing cover crops, to allow the animals to graze into the winter, because that saves me the cost, the time, the fuel, labor of putting up all that feed, and let the animals go. Plus, I didn't have to haul the manure out. The animals had applied it onto the landscape themselves, as it it should be. And so I was learning these other principles. Now, I want to make it very clear that I was not the first one to talk about these five principles. Uh, John Stick and Jay Fear, who work for the Natural Resource Conservation Service, they put the five principles together. They saw what was happening on my farm and others and, and put those principles together. Now, in the past two years, my business partners and I have added a sixth principle, and that's the principle of context. And the reason we added that principle is because we travel all over the world and we see people trying to farm and ranch in a way that's not in what we call context. For instance, hey, will you do, me, will you do me a favor.
0: Will you do me yes. first. The listener's saying, "Okay, wait a minute. Damien, you started outlining it. You said, first, first principle, redu- reduction of tillage. Secondly, armor, meaning protecting your soil because it's our most valuable resource. You and I both agree on this uh, a million percent." It's the most valuable asset we have in agriculture, and yet we just abuse it and we leave it uh, out there to be harmed by the wind and the water and, and the erosive forces of nature for seven months. In my part of the world, they go out there in October after they take off beans and tear up, you know, fall tillage and leave it look, look like that until May. It's just a crime. Diversification. Context is number six. I'm missing number four and
1: five. Help me <laughs> okay. out. Okay. Yes. And I should have mentioned number four is that living root in the soil as long as possible throughout the year. And okay. so by and the growing root. these cover crops, and when we work with our clients in the corn belt, we we talk to them about the importance. When you get that bean crop off, you need to go in there and have a diverse cover crop growing. Uh, before you even combine the corn crop, you should be uh, interseeding a cover crop between those rows so you have that living root in the soil as long as possible. And when we understand how soil ecosystems function. And I tell producers this, farmers and ranchers this, there's more microorganisms in a teaspoonful of healthy soil than there are people on this world. Well, those microorganisms are key to building soil aggregates. So you can infiltrate water, move it throughout the profile. They're key to keeping your land from being flooded they're key to water infiltration in drier environments getting that water into the soil profile they're they're also key to the nutrient cycle and this is one of the things that that i've learned over time is that when you build true soil health and get the nutrient cycle the water cycle the mineral cycle the energy cycle working it becomes sustainable and and i tell it to farmers and ranchers this way, if you can imagine back what uh, your own farmer ranch looked like hundreds of years ago, well, it was a sea of grass, a lot of diversity. There was nobody out there fertilizing all that. It was sustainable because of the biology. And so uh, we on our ranch have not used one pound of synthetic fertility of any kind since 2007. Hey, and Gabe. we're able to have very good yields and be very profitable without that.
0: Gabe, you gave me living roots. And I, I you know, there's yep. a lot of people probably don't think this. I know that there's folks that probably thought, well, the good thing is you take the crop off in the fall and then you do this tillage. You see, you don't want something growing out there because it's taking your fertility. And of course, you point out, no, no, no. You put in a cover crop in the fall, then then you've got living roots because that keeps the nutrient and the the uh, nutrient cycle going and also improves water infiltration. And it, as you point out, it, it's of course is going to help you with erosive uh, forces because you've got something growing there. That's number four.
1: What's my yeah. fifth
0: principle. Now that I've got it, I've got something growing in there as, as much as possible. I've got something growing. What's yeah. my fifth principle.
1: The fifth principle is animal and insect integration. Nature simply does not farm And and nature, let me say it this way, nature does not operate effectively without animals and insects. And that's just key. And you look over a large part of our landscapes today, we've removed the animals and we've tried killing all the insects.
0: Yeah. So... So when you're, when you're talking about this, now, this is the only thing. I don't know if our girl Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is fully on board because she says that we, we are eating too many cheeseburgers. And for your, for your system to work, the animal integration is key because it utilizes the resource. It applies fertilizer back into the, the ground. And then we get something usable, animal protein that we can consume. So I'm not sure that she's fully on board with that, but I am. Without, yeah, animals, with, without animals, does the system work?
1: You can, you can have a functioning system, but it will not be at the level one is that has animals. What she does not, and many others do not understand, is how healthy soils evolve over time. You have to have a living plant. When that plant is grazed by an animal, That plant then starts sloughing root exudates into the soil to attract biology, to provide that plant with the nutrients it needs to grow. In so doing, it takes massive amounts of carbon and other elements out of the atmosphere and put it into the soil. And so I know AOC is is really big on the climate change. Well, if you want to take carbon out of the atmosphere, there is no better way to do that than with ruminants grazing living plants.
0: You and I both agree. And the other part of it is carbon sequestration through living plants, but you can't the, the plant the plant then does need to be grazed down. You talk about in your book grazing what? Two-thirds of the plant, but leaving enough so that it still can
1: regenerate itself? What we actually like to do is graze no more than 50%. Because we have to leave that armor that protection on the soil, and so those then are the six principles of a healthy soil ecosystem, and I have the good fortune now I get to travel all over the world talking with farmers and ranchers about these six principles, and I always hear, no matter where I go, "Oh, but Gabe, you don't understand it's not like that here, Gabe, you don't understand, oh, we're too wet, we're too dry, we're too cold, we're too hot." And I, t- I look them right in the eye, and I-, I tell them point blank, I will bet my ranch in North Dakota against your farmer ranch, wherever that may be, that I can get these principles to work on your operation, because those six principles they're they're universal, no matter where in the world you are, where there's dry land production agriculture, those principles will work, and all I'm doing I tell people, Gabe Brown really isn't very intelligent, I'm just good at observing." And I observe the principles of nature. And then it's up to the farmer or rancher to decide which cash crops to use, which cover crops to use, which no-till drill to buy, which livestock to integrate into the system. And, and so the principles will work anywhere. It's up to the farmer or rancher to apply those principles in their context.
0: Gabe, can you do me a favor and expand just a little bit on context, because that's what we're talking about now. You're saying it's going to be different in the panhandle of Texas than it is in North Dakota, than it is in the uh, the bogs of Massachusetts to the prairie of
1: uh, uh, Alberta. What, what does context really mean to you? Yeah, and I'll give this as an example. Here in, in August, I was doing a series of workshops around the province of Alberta, Canada, and I was 300 miles north of the U S border. And they were trying to grow soybeans. Well, that's out of context. It's not the environment. Soybeans is a warm season, broadleaf crop. <laughs> They're about as cool season as you can get that far North yeah. in Alberta. Yeah, that's yeah. out of context. Uh, just here uh, a few weeks ago, I was in New Mexico, very arid environment. They're trying to grow dry land corn. That's out of context. That is, you know, Corn needs some moisture. It's not going to grow well in an eight-inch moisture environment. It's out of context. Too yeah. often we see these arid environments uh, uh, that are people till up these soils that uh, these this prairie that does very well, but they till it up and think they can plant monocultures and produce profitable cash crops. That's out of context. I tell people the good Lord did not mean for all land to be farmed. You know, some of it needs to be left in grasslands and to graze various species of livestock. So we 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 have to pay attention to context.
0: One thing that I tell my audience is, speaking of context, is you know, just because we can go to Western Kansas and punch a hole in the ground and put in a pivot irrigation, doesn't mean that we really should. And of course, there's people out there that are going to be mad at me for saying this, but if we have a surplus of corn, which we Currently, do do we really need to be depleting the Ogallala aquifer and spending money on the diesel or electricity to pump out uh the aquifer and water an area that only gets nine inches of precipitation naturally when we have land in Illinois that can grow two hundred and sixty bushel corn and probably is uh being underutilized because we have such a glut of it at three dollar and sixty eight cent corn am I right am I, am I on the right path here?
1: You're exactly right, and you know I tell producers, and I say this not out of bragging or anything, but but uh, I do this without accepting any government payments. Now I want to make it perfectly clear: I did take part in equip and CSP pay, uh, programs early on, but once I saw how these principles can be applied, once I saw the profitability. That can be had from farming and ranching in nature's image. I refuse to take any any government payments, and people think, "Well, Gabe, that's ridiculous. You're you're entitled to that." And I said, "We got to get away from that mindset. Just because we can do something does not mean we should do something." You know, this country is twenty two trillion dollars plus in debt. Why should should taxpayers? Subsidize my farm or ranch. And I tell people, if I can't run my farm or ranch as a business and be profitable without those subsidies, perhaps I shouldn't be in that business. And so yeah, it's and the same parts, thing.
0: This has been going on for a long time. You know, you and I both have an agricultural economics uh, background or education, if you will. And uh, of course, these, these subsidies and payments happen because it's almost a national defense thing. It's to keep vast amounts of productivity and food and in, in surplus because it's a matter of defense and strength. I, But it also becomes very entrenched. Like you said, it becomes an entitlement situation. And then we know that agriculture ends up having to farm toward the program versus away from the program. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. This is the business of agriculture podcast. The great thing about what you're doing before we started recording, I said, Gabe, Prince Charles over in England, he thinks organic farming is neat and what we should all do, but that's easy for him to say. He does not have to make a living in agriculture. Uh, Warren Buffett's son, Howard, is big on agriculture and has lots of big ideas. Well, that's easy to say if you're, <laughs> if you're set to inherit uh, you know, a few billion dollars. You have proven this actually does work from an economic standpoint. Regenerative agriculture has actually made you money and paid off your debts and you've expanded
1: your operation tell me about the business. Yep. So now uh, my wife and I have uh, passed the ranch on to our son who's 32 years old. He he operates Brown's Ranch and Brown's Ranch is a very diverse uh, farm and ranch. And the fact that we grow a wide variety of different cash crops, everything from corn and peas and cereal rye and hairy vetch and winter triticale and barley and oats and sunflowers and and uh, different forages. We run uh, 300 cow-calf pairs. We grass finish uh, approximately 300 head of beef animals every year. Plus, we run some stocker cattle. We have a flock of ewes, and we grass finish all their lambs. We have pastured pork, and, and uh, we farrow sows and then uh, harvest about three to 400 uh, finished hogs per year on pasture, We have 1,400 land hens out on pasture. We raise broilers. We have bees. We have about 10 to 15 acres in vegetable production. I've started what I believe is the largest fruit orchard in North Dakota here on our ranch. And we have over 17 different enterprises. And we're direct marketing as much of that as possible directly to consumers. Last time I asked my son, that's his business, but I asked him uh, how many consumers he's selling to and he says he has just over 8,000 clients in North Dakota now that he's supplying with these proteins, vegetables and other products. So so it's a it's a very very diverse enterprise and I know what people are the next question they're going to ask is well, how many employees do you have? Well, this operation is run by my son, his girlfriend, one hired man and my wife does the bookkeeping. That's it. <laughs> Fantastic. <You know>? Yep. <laughs> Eight thousand clients, seventeen enterprises, still growing, still expanding. It, it is to some degree. It's expanding in the way we're always looking for to add new enterprises. Because of my other business interests, now I'm not home on the ranch as much as I'd like, and so I'm going to leave that decision up to to him and and his uh, fiance and see what what they where they take it. Although it's exciting to me to think back where we started before those years of of natural disasters and to now see what we're doing. And the important thing is uh, because we've been able to advance soil health and I haven't even had a chance to talk about that yet, the difference in the health of our soils, we're now producing food that's much higher in nutrient density. And I think that's one of the reasons he has the clientele he has, because once people taste the product, their bodies know that this is good, I want more of it. And so they're they're repeat customers.
0: What I like about the story is that it's a, it's a successful business born out of economic necessity and some creativity went into it. You know, I'm a, I'm a guy that quit my job to be a political comedian, and people told me it wouldn't work 25 years ago. And I built my own little enterprise, and I'm pretty proud of it because it's economic necessity meets creativity meets I'm going to do things a little differently. And that's what I like about your story. You're growing now. You've got two businesses, one that's a nonprofit Uh, Soil Health Academy, which is really a training forum, I believe. And then you've got another one called Understanding Ag. You do ag consulting with three other people uh, that, you know, if I say, I want
1: you to show me how to do this, you'll come and teach me? Is that the idea? Yeah. So what Understanding Ag is, along with Dr. Alan Williams, Ray Archuleta, and Shane New, we, we founded Understanding Ag. And our goal is to help guide producers, farmers, ranchers down this path. And not only producers, uh, I don't know if you've heard, but General Mills, the company, has uh, has really made it their mission to move regenerative agriculture forward. Well, it's our company, Understanding Ag, that they hired to help the farmers and ranchers who are supplying products for their company to help move them down this path. So what we do is either one of us or one of our field consultants, we currently have about 15 uh, people working with us, we will come to a farmer ranch. We'll we'll listen, we'll observe, we'll see what you're doing. We'll we'll learn what your goals are, where you want to go, and then we'll do proper soil testing. And I say that because uh, uh, I'm, I'm you may catch a lot of static for this, or I might. Uh, <laughs> I firmly believe that uh, ninety-five plus percent of the soil tests being done in the United States are not being done correctly. And from that, we will determine the amount of nutrients that should be applied. And then we're able, in, on the vast majority of farms and ranchers, to start uh, reducing the amount of inputs that are needed to get profitable cash crops. Now, we have a little bit different philosophy. We're not focused on yield in pounds. We're focused on profit. And what's in the best long-term interest of that farmer ranch? So we're going to talk profitability. We're not going to talk strictly yield. And there's a there's a huge difference between. Wait a minute.
0: Wait a minute. You know, I was I've been around farmers my whole life. If I went to the Bippus, uh the the Farm Bureau Co-op in bipus Indiana, the the old boys that sit there on the bench, the same guys that talk about how hard they work every day while they sit and and drink coffee for six hours at the co-op, they they. They don't think about that. It's all about how many bushels. By God, did you hear about old Roy? I heard he got 200 bushels over in that field. Well, I, mm-hmm. and you're talking about profit. No, it's got to be about how
1: many bushels we can get. And we go to the co-op and drink coffee and talk about it. Isn't that right? Well, my favorite saying is uh, I'd rather sign the back of the check than the front. And so <laughs> unless we're talking about profitability, we're not going to be able to sign that back of the check. Let me give you this example. A number of years ago, they brought one of these champion uh, corn growers to speak in Bismarck. And he was up there bragging about his yield and everything. And at that time, corn was selling for a little over $4 a bushel. And so I stood up and I asked him at the end of the presentation, question and answers. So how much per bushel did it cost you to produce this corn and get that yield? And he said, well, just over $7 per bushel. (laughs) Well, I, I blurted out, I have no desire to learn how to lose money. And I walked out. Well, of course, the, the people who hosted them didn't like that. But but I was proving my point. We have to get out of this yield mentality. We have to talk profitability. Now, some people might say, yeah, Gabe, but if you focus on, don't focus on yield, you're not going to be able to feed the world. And we're told that as farmers and ranchers all the time. you got to feed the world. we got to produce more to feed the world. Well, the last stats I heard was from 2017. And in 2017, we produced... Uh, uh, there was approximately 7.2 billion people on this planet, and we produced enough food to feed 10.2 billion. We're already producing enough food. Besides, look what I'm doing on my farm. Okay, we grow a cash crop on all our cropland every acre, on all our cropland acres every year. Now, besides that, we're gonna grow a cover crop. We're gonna graze that cover crop with a myriad of different species, grass-finished beef, lamb, pork, we got bees, we're doing all all this on a single acre okay yeah, your 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 calorie
0: your calories produced per acre uh, are greater than some that are not using your system that are out here chasing yield is what i'm hearing
1: that's exactly right that's exactly right and i'm not going to back down totally from the yield here in in south central north dakota burley county north dakota the average corn yield per acre is about 98 bushels per acre. My proven long-term yield is 127, so I'm considerably higher, you know, in in average yield. Plus, I'm doing all these other enterprises. And and meanwhile, what do I hear from farmers and ranchers? Oh, there's no money in agriculture. We need more subsidies. Yep. No, we need to change the way we see things and take it upon ourselves to add enterprises do what's in the best interest of our families and the resource. And you're doing it. By the way, his name's Gabe Brown. I love the discussion. Closing thoughts that you
0: want to share. I, I think we've got it here. Uh, Change the way you do things to make small changes. Change the way you see things make big changes. Regenerative agriculture. Is it
1: going to be what more of us are doing 10 years from now? Well, two years ago when my partners and I started our business, we we were we knew – There was people that were hungry for this. Now we're on over 15 million acres across the United States. We have multinational companies such as General Mills knocking on our doors to work with us. And it's not just them. It's many others who I can't mention right now. But but it's the next wave. And people, I just encourage people to take a look and Really decide, are you happy with your operation where it is, your farm or ranch? That's fine, then stay there. But if you're looking to increase profitability, to leave your farm or ranch better for the next generation by by regenerating our resources, you know, I really get tired of the word sustainable. Why would we want to sustain a degraded resource? That makes no sense. We got to be regenerative. So take a look at regenerative agriculture and see what it has to offer. I like it. His name's Gabe Brown. If they want to find you, where do they find you, sir? Uh, They can Google either Soil Health Academy or Understanding Ag. I love it.
0: It's the business of agriculture. By the way, thank you for being here, Mr. Brown. My pleasure. Thank you, Damien. Till next time.